0: Welcome to the Cosmic Chats podcast with me, your host, Debbie Sugarbaker. On this show, I share conversations with individuals whose work, knowledge, wisdom, and insight have helped me open my mind and perspective, alchemize perceived negative situations, live in a healthier body, and see the world in a deeper, more wondrous way on a daily basis. My aim is that you, the listener, are able to receive all of that and tap into your own heart and energy to create possibilities and elevate your experience of this reality we call life. Please enjoy this episode.
1: I'm so excited today to be interviewing Dr. Nas al-Jafari. He is the medical director of the DNA Health Center in Dubai, and he is a functional medicine practitioner. He is a wealth of knowledge, and we actually met when I was at university in the UK.
2: Thanks for the introduction. You're quite right. We met in the UK, which probably now, gosh, 12 years ago. I don't even know. I've lost count. Time flies by. I've been in the UAE for the last six years where I've been uh, practicing, I guess, more functionally, you could say, because, you know, rather than it being a, a specialty, I think it's more a philosophy and approach to, uh, to healthcare. And... Given what's going on now in in the world, it's something that finally seems to have caught a lot more people's uh, attention with respect to just keeping well and not just kind of looking at themselves being sick in a traditional sense, but looking to optimize that. So very uh, excited to be on today.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm excited that you're here. I thought we would just start with some questions. A lot of people might not even know what functional medicine is. What is it, right? You're a traditional medical doctor. You have your degree. You can just explain it a little bit.
2: I trained traditionally in the allopathic sort of system, did my medical school, qualified eventually as a, as a general practitioner in the UK. We're called family medicine consultants in the US and the UAE. And I had a personal interest in, in health just because I was a bit into sports and, and weightlifting and, you know, looking to optimize my, my performance. So naturally started to look into sort of nutrition training and, and sleep and things like stress and how they influence health. Because ultimately during my time in medical school and postgrad training, it was nothing that was really covered probably no more than an hour or two in, in in lectures that we probably never attended. And then, you know, you look at the way we treat or the traditional system treats probably the most common conditions. So cardiovascular disease, The way we assess lipid profile, the approach to obesity, the calories in, calories out approach. You look at the way diabetes is treated, where everyone's looking at controlling the sugars, but actually often driving the root cause, which is insulin resistance. The way we approach dementia and Alzheimer's, where we're developing drugs that are invariably a failure, which are trying to attack plaques in the brain. Which, as I said, are, are very unsuccessful. It's because the the system hasn't caught on to the fact that all these conditions are caused by lifestyle. Yes, you can have a, a certain genetic predisposition. Your genes are only really load the gun, but your environment pulls the trigger, which is a common phrase that we use. I think at the same time, the health system has become very sub-specialised, which is great. For example, if you want to go and have someone do a particular surgery. You want someone who's done that operation 200 times already that year. But at the same time, people have missed the point that our systems are all uh, integrated. And I think that's really describes functional medicine. It's more of an integrative way of looking at health and asking the question, why does a disease occurred? And assessing those factors, which invariably come back. And within lifestyle, we're kind of dividing it up into nutrition exercise or lack of exercise stress sleep, sleep.
1: water hydration right all this
2: kind exactly. of exactly exactly so I think that's really in a in a nutshell
1: there's really a lot there and like you said it's really come into the light with the coronavirus because now everybody's much more interested in immunity and what we're eating and how they're sleeping and just with the time probably be in quarantine or being away from from the usual, stress, you know, people are really looking or have been forced to look at how they take care of themselves. So one of the things that's been really out there is intermittent fasting and the benefits of intermittent fasting. There's also a lot of stuff out there that you're not quite sure, you know, what the source is and if it's trustworthy. And of course, I believe you always, when it comes to, to health, you need to always like check and research and, you know, make your own decisions, but that's just me. What can you tell us about intermittent fasting?
2: We call it intermittent fasting. We give it a label as if it's a new thing, but it's effectively just how our an- ancestors used to live. And when I talk about my, our ancestors, we're not really having to go that far back. You know, if you look a couple of generations ago, we were consuming our food probably within an eight to 10 hour window. The problem with modern day lifestyle is we're waking up earlier uh, for work or to get the kids to school, and, and invariably we're in a rush. So you're you grabbing your highly processed uh, food, which didn't exist 100 years ago. And then people are getting back later from work and you know dinner becomes probably the only family social occasion. So then if you, you assess the time period that people are eating over, it, it, it can very easily be from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. plus. Quite simply, our, our bodies just weren't designed to be in a fed state for such a prolonged period of time. We're we're meant to have more downtime where we're in a a, a fasted state. And it really is about balance between being in a fed and and fasted state. I think to compound issues 50, 60 years ago, they created snacks. And this was, you know, the cynical part of me says that this is just a a reason for the food and drinks industry to sell more foods. Then also this notion came out to be healthier, to stabilize your blood sugars. You need to eat small amounts regularly. It, again, I've, along with many supposed guidelines that come up, come out. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever, and it's quite to the contrary. It's probably the last thing that you want to be doing. And you know, put it this way: what does a farmer want to do, or what does a farmer do with his animals when he's trying to fatten them for market? He he lets them graze on grains. This is effectively what our modern day world is doing. But on the fasting point, the thing I, I want to just leave you on there is that what is probably the only thing that every single major religion agrees on it's that at some point in the year they practice fasting and 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 that's not just because of the spiritual effects and they realize it was health effects
1: i've done fasting and i always feel great after at the end of the day it's hard in the day then i'm like even from water too but then at the end you always feel like this energy of course there's the spiritual reason for that as you said but
2: Completely, completely, and, and actually, you know, what's interesting is is probably you know the, what, what, when these people were entering potentially ketosis from from fasting, you know, there is a difference in focus, in energy, in calmness, and and, and probably this was the connection to God that people were were experiencing.
1: Right. So basically, you would recommend um, intermittent fasting. This is something that you recommend consciously or just that if, if you regulate your eating and you eat on a normal schedule, then you anyway, you are kind of intermittent fasting. Besides breakfast, maybe you need a little more time in the morning.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think we have to kind of divide intermittent fasting up. So there's there's this intermittent fasting that you would do in a single day. And and, and that's what, what I would call daily time-restricted eating. So yes, just, just being sensible about the, the, the time period over that you're eating your, your food, which arbitrarily, you know, eight, 10, ten hours, you could do shorter eating eating windows. Now, yeah, I think it's something that should be practiced by everyone. You know, listen, there there are going to be subgroups of, of people. So, you know, children, people who are breastfeeding, people who are pregnant, people with eating disorders. Fine. I mean you're gonna have a slightly different approach, but for everybody else, which is ninety nine right. percent of the population. That's
1: but that's important to say, you know, because yeah. some people do have or have had in the past seen you know, different eating disorders. Of course, you want to take those things into account. It's a small portion of the population. Small
2: group of people, but then also it comes back to just eating intuitively. So yeah, right. it, it, 200 years ago, people weren't thinking to themselves, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm pregnant. I need to eat five right. times. Then I need to, it was just, they ate food when, when they felt they needed to eat, their body was telling them when they needed to eat. And I think that's another issue. We've lost kind of cognitive signals Our hormones are imbalanced. So that that confuses the the issue.
1: So then that goes into stress and regulating the central nervous system, so that I actually can tell: am I hungry, or am I just stressed, or am I in a relaxed state, or am I just going, going, going? And so I just want to eat, eat, eat.
2: Completely, completely, and then that that comes to you know weight and weight management being a hormonal imbalance rather than it being a calorie issue. And we we're getting a lot of people now coming in for weight issues. They say that nothing's happened with their lifestyle in the last year, other than, you know, lockdown or or working from home. But actually what they've not realized or accounted for is the stress and sleep disruption. When I talk about sleep disruption, I don't just mean reduced hours of sleep. I mean, changes in sleep time. People haven't been as accountable for getting up as early. We've lost that circadian rhythm, which all our hormones are tied to, has also played.
1: So you would say that this is all related with COVID, all the changes that
2: have happened since then with this. Rich- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I think standardizing for kind of people eating the same food, training the same amount. Because everyone talks about food and exercise because it's the kind of low-hanging fruit it's the easy thing to address. But actually standing standardizing that people's stress often has, has changed for obvious reasons and sleep has been disrupted. And one thing I realized in my practice is that Sleep and stress under everything else. So if you're a well-slept person who is calm and stress right. resilient, then you have a lot more flexibility with what you can eat and your nutrition and the, you know lack of exercise.
1: If you're like a well-adjusted, resilient, your energy is in that place. It has to do with other things, right? That's why like functional yeah. medicine is so holistic because then it's like, what, what are the things that work for that individual to be in that state? That's another area that I'm interested in, like personal growth and wellness and mindset and it's all connected
2: I, I, I <laughs> completely agree and I, I, stress and sleep are often intertwined and then but mm-hmm. then with that you know people when they become sleep deprived they're then turning to you know things like caffeine you're, you're less insulin sensitive so you have higher insulin levels you're gonna, you're going to get fluctuations in your sugars and so you know as you said crave foods you're going to have less energy to exercise so it's it's a bit of a it becomes a slippery slope and and what, what's interesting is you know, talking about stress and sleep was probably quite considered quite wimpy even ten years ago but now it's something that people are embracing a lot more and they do find it a lot more difficult and and even myself find it very difficult to integrate into our day to day lives even if it's just five or, or or ten minutes but it's extremely impactful as you know you know yourself
1: right so I wanted to to ask you another question, just go into a slightly different topic. And that is a lot of people are talking about immunity with, you know, everything that's going on. So what would be your top three, if I could ask you your top three tips for immunity in this time or for building immunity from your perspective?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because everyone's you know jumping to the supplements and a, a lot of the supplement stores have sold out over the usual kind of vitamin C, zinc and and so forth. And, and we're always looking for a quick fix, but I honestly don't think there's anything more powerful and this may sound boring to some, there's nothing more powerful than sleep. So getting your approximately eight hours of, of good quality sleep, because even just one night's disrupted sleep. And. When we talk about disrupted sleep, we're not talking two, three hours. We're talking, you know, six hours sleep, which is actually probably what most people are getting. You have a reduction in your, what's called your natural killer cells, which, you know, fundamental aspect of the immune response. And then at the same time, the quality of your nutrition. So a lot of people now, unfortunately, just because of what's available to us and what's mass produced, they're eating over overly refined, kind of highly processed foods that lacks kind of nutrient density. So. You you are what you eat, and and so it's about kind of improving the the quality and nutrient density of the food you're eating. And I think you know we could talk for days about nutrition, but I think just it's it's about eating as close to nature as as possible, and in, and improving diversity.
1: Exactly. Okay, so eating and sleep, and
2: the, the... third third one, interestingly, and this is uh, you know ironic. And social connection, it, it, it improves, and, and touch and, and uh, improves immunity. And, and th- that's yeah, an issue because of the lack of closeness and social distancing that people have, people have been doing. It's just an important point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a really important point. And smiling and laughing and like having a good time. It's, it's so important, our immunity. So something that I saw you posted was about the effect of thoughts and sounds and their potential for healing on the cells. So I wanted to ask you about to explain, I personally, in my kind of exploration of things and doing sound therapy and stuff like that for myself, have found it to be really powerful. So I just was wondering from your scientific or medical perspective, what what is it that you were talking about and how, how do they really affect, can it affect the cell structure or
2: yeah, and it's amazing when you talk about this sort of stuff now and, and you know, the millions of billions of people over the centuries who have practiced these principles and it still gets dismissed as woo-woo and, and witchcraft. I think the problem, again, in the last century is we've been indoctrinated with a, a particular way of looking at health and, right. you know, when anyone presents something alternative it's, it's our natural defense mechanism. If we don't understand it, we we stay in our comfort zone and and, and prefer simpler explanations which sound more logical to us. My, my personal view of this is we understand health on a biological level. It was how it was kind of really taught to us. But I think what most people haven't grasped is that a lot of this and, and a lot of our health actually... Is happening on a subatomic level. There's people cleverer than me that can explain it a lot better, but we have to understand it more in a, in a, in a physics sense. And right. I, I don't think that anyone would deny that we are, you know, we are charged. We have electricity. People will relate to that through the fact that they know that the heart beats and that depends on electrical current. Well, that electrical current is also fundamental to other mechanisms in, in the body. I mean the way the actual cell itself works, the mitochondria main membrane potentials, the way blood flows around the body, and and actually part of that is also the fact beyond the the three phases of, of water, we we have a fourth phase which is structured water, which allows us to hold this electrical charge. And this this has been proven, and probably one of the most famous people behind this work is a gentleman called Dr. Gerard Holler. There was also an interesting guy who did a number of studies, I think in the seventies and eighties. Robert Becker, who actually did studies where he applied electricity and energy to uh, healing orthopedic injuries and, and demonstrated that, that there was an improvement in, in healing. Wh- what I'm getting at is that it's something that most people don't understand, so it gets dismissed and often gets labeled as a kind of placebo because you know, we just don't have any other way of describing it. But also, you know, placebo just gets is the label given to kind of just when people talk about the power of the mind over the body as if it's a kind of negative thing. Well, no, <laughs> yes, it is a rational explanation of what's been going on. It just proves to us how important our thoughts are and, and yes, our thoughts and sounds influence that frequency of, of electricity in our body at the same time, because we have become removed from the frequencies that we used to get from the phytoelectric current from the sun and from you know, the earth. We've lost that and, and, and we're now exposed to a lot of dirty electricity from, you know, Wi-Fi. And it's something that, you know, people will laugh about, but, you know, mechanistically, if you break all these individual components down, it's, been, it's in the science. It's just no one has done large scale studies, so it doesn't get accepted by the mainstream.
1: Right. Well, eventually, hopefully it will. And also it, it works for people.
2: I mean, you can't really suppress that. I mean, what are you saying? You're saying that, you know, all these millions and millions of people are lying. I, I, I don't know whether it will ever become fully accepted because again, the cynical part of me is says that, well, no one's going to make money out of a lot of this stuff. It's the same with fasting. It's the same as sleep. You, there's no, there's no commercial or very few commercial industries behind sleep. relatively right. less stress control, So it, it's never going to take right. off.
1: I see what you're saying, makes a lot of sense.
2: Just one point I wanted to make when we we drifted off from the fasting part, we didn't talk about longer periods of fasting. So this this is actually the the more more therapeutic types of fasting are the water fasting that's done over a longer period of time. And this is the one again, which seems to click what we call epigenetic switches. of certain genes on and off, which are more conducive with longevity and, and, and repair. And this is the type of fasting which okay. no, or very few people do. So when people right. talk about I'm doing intermittent fasting, they're talking about doing daily time restricted eating, but they're not actually talking about the, more, the longer, more therapeutic types of, of fasting.
1: So do you work with people who have more serious health conditions and work with them through fasting and um, diet in conjunction with their other treatments?
2: Yes, yeah, so we we apply it from everything uh, from weight loss control to autoimmunity to diabetes reversal. It's it's far reaching. I've literally had people's autoimmunity go into remission and uh, chronic skin conditions go into remission just from one one long water fast.
1: Wow, that's incredible! So, some someone wrote, "I have a very bad habit of starting the day with coffee. How bad is that, and how to change it?"
2: Yeah, I, I need to add at this point that this is Gigi tea, not, not coffee. So, uh, yeah, no, so how do change that habit? Well, I think you have to start by asking yourself the question, uh, why are you having the coffee? So often, and, and I know this is a sweeping generalization, but often most people are having coffee for the caffeine effects to stay awake because they're sleep deprived. I think that na- does naturally then evolve to, you know, cop- good coffee is very nice. So then you have to differentiate between, you know, what is it? dependency and what is kind of just, you like it, you, you you can take it or or leave it. I think the important thing there is, is if you are developing a dependency, then as I said, it comes back to sleep. So it's about addressing your your sleep, first of all, but caffeine is something that really needs to be cycled uh, as well. It's not, it's not something that you want to become uh, dependent on, which most of us in modern day life are.
1: Right. And by by cycle, do you mean like. Sometimes maybe you let it go altogether. You can come back to it a little bit, or something.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think just having a week or two off, copy. And like anything, I think you know, there's an assumption that often when you're taking supplements and and, and hormones and things like it, 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 you do cause biochemical shifts in the in the body, and it is good to just get back to your natural state.
0: Equilibrium. Mm-hmm just wanted to interrupt this episode to remind you that you can find all of my cosmic chats with video on my igtv handle at debbie sugarbee that's at d-e-b-b-i-e s-u-g-a-r-b there you can also find a link in my bio to support my work or sign up for a one-on-one healing session with me thank you and i hope you enjoy the rest of this episode
1: I was wondering in your experiences, if you think integrated functional medicine is more accepted in Dubai or Europe versus the States. Thank you, Vivian, for your question.
2: Um, very good question. So th- it's interesting. Traditionally in Dubai, the UAE, no, but but, but you do have a, a subset of the population who I would say is very, I would say aligned with the American approach. I don't mean the American approach to general health, that's the complete op- opposite. But, but awareness of integrative and functional medicine, I'll say that, but it's still a very small percentage of the population, but it's, Europe is very divided. And I think it depends on the health system that you work with. You'll find that the Germans, uh, and with them, the Austrians, and sometimes the Swiss have been doing a lot of this stuff, maybe in slightly different for, for decades, whether you count r- Russia as Europe or not, the Russians got certain s- aspects of it that they're, they're very progressive in and, and been doing again for, for decades. But then when you go to systems that are more of a, a public system, uh, I mean, certainly now I'm thinking obviously from my own experience, the UK, it's, it's a bit of a kind of foreign matter, but I think there's also forces in are preventing it from getting a grounding and that comes down to the general medical council and, and regulators. And they have a very much a traditional mindset and, and listen, I, I get it because they want to stop uh, wayward practitioners. They don't want it, it kind of turning into the wild west. And I think it's it's highly variable. But the U.S. by far has pockets that have been doing it, or certainly been practicing what we know as functional medicine for a, for a long time. But but actually, that being said, there's certain things even because of the regulation in the U.S. that that, that people in Europe are doing that a lot of the guys I know functional practice in the U.S. would look love, love to be practicing.
1: So are some of the concepts that you put into practice, which it sounds like it is, because it's, it's very much has to do with lifestyle. And like you said, stress, sleep, nutrition, all these kinds of things. So do you find that some of them, we're talking about this across the world, I can imagine that in some cultures, there are things that have maybe been around for centuries, you know, that they say like, oh, when you get sick, you drink an onion in water with lemon and different things like that, different like remedies. That are more natural, that have been around for thousands of years, and just kind of like pass through families. Like, have you noticed those types of things or anything like that? That's working.
2: We use the, poem, the term functional medicine; it's just a rebranding. You know, you think uh, integrative medicine, Ayurvedic practice, ch- Chinese medicine. There's a lot of overlap, but ultimately they they are based on yes, a lot of ancient practices. You know, combined with the sort of modern wisdom in the sense that we know, we understand the science, but it's, it is going back to a lot of these practices and listen, in my practice, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of fancy, fancy testing, but the management plan are very simple and it is about lifestyle or well, certainly it should be lifestyle is the cornerstone. Now we are having to use modern day hacks because of the false environment that we're living in. So, you know, we have the ability now to track sleep. We can track stress through heart rate variability and other means. We have ways of continuously tracking people's glucose. And, and you know, I'm not saying that these things are essential, but we have these adjuncts that are very powerful, if anything, just from a behavioral change perspective, but also to help us because our lives have become so removed. From how we have evolved to live it, we often need these to, uh, to assist us because we're constantly, there's that power or force that's dragging us back to live the the modern day lifestyle, which we need to, okay, we, we can't extract ourselves and all live on a mountain with Buddhist monks and drink spring water, but we, there are certain things that we can integrate in our day-to-day lives to mitigate the the effects.
1: Totally. So one thing that just came to mind was, you know, something that I know that's very popular here is infrared sonnets. Do you have that? And do you have any comments on that or?
2: Yeah. So, so it's become very popular and, and, and a lot of this I think is derived from what I was saying about, you know, nowadays we don't have any, we have very little exposure to the sun relative to we, to what we used to and It turns out that all the different spectrums of light from the sun have an effect on on the body. And and what's interesting now, everyone focuses on vitamin D and topping up their vitamin D levels, um, which will have some impact. You know, it's better to be vitamin D sufficient, or, or I should say sufficient optimized than being low. But I think people are missing the point, light and the different spectrum of light, including infrared has the profound impact on cellular function, and part of that is the energy and frequencies that we were talking about. And actually, if you look at the biochemical structure of a mitochondria, it's actually very similar to a chloroplast, which is the part of the plant which produces energy from the sun. Oh, wow! It just so happens that we have the ability to run around and, and eat food, so we have a gastrointestinal tract as well, but the different frequencies of life have an effect on various aspects of the mitochondria in a cell, which is the powerhouse of the cell. So, yeah, there's all sorts of other nuances with near infrared but I, I think it's, I just want to leave you with that sort of simple but powerful point. You know, we were talking about top three things to do to boost immune systems, and I think just top, top things to do to just boost a- overall health in general is getting out in, in the sun and in nature. And actually, you know, if if we look back to sort of Victorian times, you know, people who were sick in hospitals, they used to wheel out into the sun on the beaches in the salt. So yeah, we have a lot of these things that are just accessible and and free, and yet people are jumping to supplements and medications and, and, and missing what is actually probably more impactful. And I'm a firm believer that. Whatever pharmaceutical drug you have available, there's something in nature that exists that is as powerful or more powerful.
1: Wow. Now I feel like I could just keep asking you questions, so, like a of sure. uh, knowledge. So, about the sun, but you would recommend, like, if you do, for example, I live in LA, so it's very sunny here, and getting out is something that I do every day. But, like, you know, obviously with sunblock, and but I wondered, you know, what about sunblock? Do you have any?
2: So the, the, yeah, this is a really interesting topic and it's the, the issue with sun is the only issue with sun is burning saying there's a difference between healthy sun exposure and unhealthy sun exposure. And actually, yeah, there was some, s- num- well, some studies, which, okay, they were observational, so they show a relationship, but not causality, but people who had lower levels of sun exposure actually had higher incidence of skin cancer and I think there's been a there's a bit of a double edged sword to the whole sun cream because yes it protects you but it means you're getting yes, less than the UBB light which is very healthy for us for a lot of the reasons I was just explaining then but at the same time it it means that people are staying in the sun longer and potentially burning despite you know having that pr- protection so I, I, I think to sum it up, my view of it is, yeah, we need to be going in the sun regularly. It needs to be initially a graded introduction and yeah, you have to be sensible uh, about it. I, I always get asked the question about kids. The thing I try and do with my kids is let them run around the sun in a bit for, uh, for, for a period of time and get some sun and then I'll put some sun lotion on because you aren't going to be able to keep them in the shade. <laughs> so that, that's my view on it.
1: Yeah. Wow. You said to eat as close to nature as possible. And when it comes to like time restricted eating, do you like eat breakfast early or do you wait until later? And do you like recommend a certain? I, for example, am a vegetarian, but that's just because I figured out that that's what works for me. I wasn't always like that, but since I was like ten or eleven, I was on and off, kind of like realized that I felt tired when I ate meat or whatever. So I know that it's like an individual choice. And you said to eat as close to nature, but can you just give a few points, maybe about specific diets or? Do work with blood types or how do you um, navigate that or help people navigate it?
2: On that point, you mentioned breakfast, because that's very topical. Well, ultimately breakfast <laughs> just means breaking fast. So that doesn't mean that breakfast has to be at 8, 7am, 8am. Uh, it's just <laughs> your first meal of the day. And so, you know, yes, I have breakfast, but, but respect the time-restricted eating that we were talking about. And actually, I just want to add the point on time-restricted eating. The, the idea is not to restrict your caloric consumption. Actually, quite the opposite. We want you to get the energy that you need. And it, it's about eating in, in, intuitively. But when it comes to actually the constituents of what you're eating, we could talk for days, but there's no one diet that suits all. And I think people intuitively know that the way I practice be above and beyond kind of the whole eating whole real foods is that you have to track a few parameters. And one is, you know, symptoms and signs, how the individual feels. And I think you just touched on that. And I think also looking at blood parameters and often sometimes applying certain trackers if we're getting really geeky about, but, but but also at the same time, you know, there's a whole area of nutrigenomics that has evolved and, and we are all individually designed for, for different diets. And some people have certain nutritional requirements. I mean, I know in myself, I mean, I've done all the testing under the sun. And I, I need higher levels of uh, DHA, EPA, omega three because my body doesn't convert it very well. I need wow. higher uh, active B vitamins and folates. I need higher levels of vitamin D.
1: And you try to get them through your food, not through supplements.
2: Well, or- so so ideal in an ideal world, yes. But the, the problem now is because the food chain, well, the food handling and the food industries become so adulterated that often you can't find the nutrient density that you need, even when you're trying to eat well. So Often you need to employ supplementation at the the, the same time. As for you know keto versus vegan tribal rules, um, (laughs) I think you've just got to do what suits you. But the important thing you have to track how you feel and if you really, a lot of people who are doing that sort of thing are interested in optimizing their health. Well, if you, if you really want to do it analytically, then you have to look at your genetics and metabolic information to determine whether that's the right, right thing.
1: Right. And then there's a whole other aspect. I had a discussion with a nutritionist a few weeks ago, which was like the aspect of how you eat, that you're in a calm state, that you are able to enjoy food also, that it's not just about eating for health or whatever, that you're able to enjoy it. And even to, to cheat once in a while, or what do you think about? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. That's like another aspect because you're focused on like the health and the getting the, the nutrition. Uh, yeah,
2: no, but I, I you know, I, I agree with all that. I mean, we have we have teeth for a reason, and and you know, it's to chew, and it's to aid digestion. I mean, I remember being taught that in uh, thirteen years old in biology class, but but now, yeah, we don't we don't take our time. We don't many of us don't sit at a table and in, enjoy our our food, and that is important for the gastrointestinal tract and and digestion, and along with. You know, weight issues and hormonal imbalances comes, gut health issues and particularly functional gut issues. And often people get labeled with irritable bowel or IBS, which isn't really a diagnosis. It's just a description of someone's symptoms saying that they have pain, bloating, or changing the bowels on most days of the month. But actually, you know, what we've realized is that a lot of it, uh, the root cause is a, an issue with the movement of the gut, which is neuro- neurological and, and also an imbalance in the, in the gut bacteria which we have modern day testing now that that helps us sort of diagnose these issues, a a huge impact or influencer of that is mental state. So we do a lot of work with people who have IBS and the ones who aren't successful in their treatment or the ones who relapse later down the line. It's not because of the nutrition aspect. It's because of the, the mind. And they still have the same stresses or issues that they had before, which often is difficult to jail.
1: Right. It's so crazy to reconnect when you knew someone at a certain point in your life. I'm just saying this just generally to people. When you knew someone at a certain point in your life and then, you know, X number of years pass and for us I think it was like thirteen years, to reconnect and to see that we're into the same I mean, obviously you're a medical doctor, but interested in like this expansion of changing consciousness and seeing things in a different way. And bringing awareness to health and to well-being and to personal growth—it's really cool. Well,
2: and I think you know, it's important that people like ourselves are connecting, and now we're fortunate enough to have the ability to connect across the world to try and push the the philosophy and and to help sort of educate. Because I, I think people are craving this information. But you said at the start that unfortunately the the internet is a little bit of a minefield. So deciphering what is you know truth and what is kind of woo-woo or whatever it, you may call it is it, difficult. And, and that's something that we're trying to do locally as well. Just getting practitioners to work, work together. There's a huge demand for it and yeah, looking forward to connecting again.
1: Thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Pleasure. Now absolute pleasure. And thanks for having me on and we can always do a part two at some point.
1: Yeah, that would be fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the end. I truly hope you enjoyed and received benefit from this episode. Please subscribe, share it with your friends and family, and or leave me a review. I appreciate your energy and support. You can also take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram. I'll add it to my story. Until next time, be well and take good care. Bye-bye, everyone. Lots of love. Cosmic Chats with Debbie Sugarbaker is a production of Yali Christina
1: Podcast Services.